Creativity is an extension of the human experience. This wild, boundless seascape has been our anchor for our friendship and our sanity. This podcast is an exploration between close friends. We're exploring storytelling and artistic expression. In this chapter, our first one, we explore our identities through an artistic lens. Okay. <laughs> hey. Hey. So we are going to ask each other questions mm -hmm. that we have already pondered mm -hmm. about ourselves as artists and creative people. And we never did our rock, paper, scissors, so you're just going to go first. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that all right? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you questions first. Is that correct, my darling? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so excited about this. Me too. Um, actually, funnily enough, I have my answers to you up and ready, but I don't have my answers. I mean, my questions for you up and ready. That's so okay. we are experiencing the complexities of life mm -hmm. as <laughs> live <laughs> recording. I love that's this. okay. Okay. Me too. Here we go. Here we go. I've got it. I'm ready. Me too. Pixie. Yes. Do you think there's a reason why you're an artist? So this is an interesting question because it assumes I know exactly what an artist is. And I don't think I always did or do. Um, I was drawn to wildness and whimsy and magic. I grew up pretty rural in the forest and by the sea kind of both. Listening to a lot of classical music, that kind of enabled me to have a lot of imagina imagination, like stimulation, because I would make up stories in my head to that music. And those things informed a lot of my experiences and a lot of my re emotional responses. So the first thing I thought of, um, though, when I read this question, was the Dark Crystal for some reason. And I think because I instantly went to my childhood in my mind trying to find when being an artist may have become a thing for me, um, maybe without knowing it. And I feel like that was it. Um, the second thing that seemed to arise for me was the word tactile. Um, and I thought of the feel and smell and general experience of art supplies, which from the very beginning uh, when I colored and drew with crayons with my grandmother, whenever she'd come to visit, our tradition was she'd make me pa pancakes and we would settle in with our coloring books and I would color and the smell of the crayons and like the the tactile experience of them is memorable for me. And I think that is important. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I also remember being really focused and determined to be able to learn how to draw technically in middle school. And I was okay at it. But that drive to master it was just in me early on. I don't remember thinking about actually making anything original until high school. And I got my first sketchbook. So in a roundabout way, my answer is, I know I am an artist because the world and the colors, sounds, and people have always moved me so deeply. I always had an obsessive, curious, and sensual relationship with my environment. And once I discovered what it meant to make things with beautiful materials, all of that culminated in creating actual things. I think being an artist is so much more than the physical process of making. 
And therefore, I've been an artist since I experienced for the first time truly beautiful, fantastical, and transformative things that awakened all my senses. And the things that came to mind from growing up in the forest were like lilac trees, the sound of the ocean, um, delicious food from the garden, like tomatoes and strawberries. And that's, yeah, that's why I think I'm an artist. <laughs> Gosh, that's so lush. Thank you. Um, Pixie, what yes, are you? Your... <laughs> what are your colors? Neutral and what do they tones. mean? What does that mean to you? Neutral tones. Um, beige. I'm wearing white right now. Um, silver and like some pastels uh, interspersed. So periwinkle, sage green and pale pink. They represent groundedness and calm, a place to come home to. They help me handle the grittiness of the world, which I'm very uncomfortable in a lot of the time. And they root me in myself. So they are how I survive. It's phenomenal. How long have you gone without making art, my darling? Too long. Mm. Although I don't think I ever did a full stop, but it was minimal. And nothing with real, but there was nothing with real focus. So it was like, I didn't fully stop. I was doing things, but I wasn't, uh, yeah. it, it wasn't really working out. Um, I wasn't, but the thing is, I wasn't clear on what to make at the time. Uh, I'd say, yeah, I'd say it was give or take five or six years where I wasn't really in the zone. I was working on other aspects of my life. I was in grad school, um, trying to start a career so I could be more comfortable um, and have more freedom. And I was dealing with a lot of personal mental health, self-education and struggle. So I was working on that aspect of my artistry by learning about taking care of myself and who I was. And I want to take note of this answer because it feels like I'm making, like saying I'm making excuses as if I should feel guilty. And I'm just calling out myself because I think it was a really important part of my process. Yes. I think I needed incubation time. Yes. And like you said, those kind of life skills to allow you to better process, to better be grounded in your yes. in yourself. Exactly. Um, and so I don't have any guilt that comes along with this answer, but I realize there might be a little sometimes, which I don't think is necessary. Um, anyway, uh, I was like I said, I was working on that aspect of my artistry because I, I do think mm -hmm. art is life. So I think I was contributing to the work I'm doing now by giving myself that education. And um, it, it enabled me to return to my work with the focus and attention I am currently accessing now. And right now I am in a whirlwind of, I'm just calling it channeling. I do think all artistic practice comes in cycles. Mm -hmm. I had a good friend, um, Larry Beck. I hope he listens, the Beck boys. Um, he's an artist too. And he's, he did say to me once, all artistic um, processes need an incubation period. And I just really uh, sat with me in a way that I thought was very important. So. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that. Me too. So um, that's my answer. Uh, I, I did think about the fact that the cycle is important. Incubation is important, but it can be exacerbated, meaning sometimes you get a little scared and at least I could get a little scared and hide and not deal with, not make the work because I'm afraid to. I really like being in the flow and I'm like afraid of the flow stopping. Mm, me too. That's like a big fear for me because I, now that it is flowing, I, it just makes my life 
so amazing. I know. I, and I never want to lose it. No, <laughs> you know? me neither. Oh gosh, yeah. I share that fear with you. Just yeah, what the world would be like if you were uninspired. Ooh. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. But I like that. I like that you caught, because I think that maybe that question was born out of some kind of guilt as well for me. So I think I appreciate learning to include incubation sitting with something as part of the art making experience. Really appreciate it. You just gave me a gift. Thank you. It was a gift given to me by Larry. So mm, um, passing it listens. forward. Passing it forward. Yeah. Pixie. What do, you, what do you need in order to make art? What's an ideal art-making time or type of environment? Ideally, another person or pet or both, they're in my space with me. The space has to be clean. All mm. necessary things must be done. My checkbook needs to be balanced. Life tasks taken care of. I need to be showered. Have been, I, I like, this is a tiny tangent, but like bathing is like, really important sacred thing for me so I like have to do it at least once a day and it's like really important and I didn't realize it but now I'm noticing a lot of people are really confused by that <laughs> like a lot of people I know are like wow you were you took a long time and I'm like that's my sacred time <laughs> um it's just interesting uh so I need to be showered wearing something I love in my element and so you know jumping off of that would be my my values or values is not the right word, but how I view art making, it's a sacred act. So for me, so whenever I sit down to make it, I envision it as a kind of altar space and all my senses need to be attended to. Um, so many times music or a show or a movie will be on whatever one I choose depends on my mental state. I've worked from anything to anything from tool and watching the X-Files to I'm listening to Lorena McKenna and Downton Abbey, watching Downton Abbey. So um, it depends on where I'm at in my mood and my mental state. Totally. And yeah. And those are just examples of like extreme differences. And then, um, incense and candles, they're always lit. It's a magical soft space I make for myself. I really can't make anything decent without this setup is what I've learned. And I've tried, it's actually a little annoying in some ways, but I'm grateful I figured it out. Um, it's something that like, it feels limiting sometimes because I really can't produce if I don't have that container or that setup around me I can't like it's just if it's not able to be accessed then I can't work then um but I'm glad that I know and I think it is a part of what my work is about anyway so yeah appreciate that yeah well there's there's softness and accepting that you know what your needs are even if they feel limiting that's I think it's beautiful that you have that clarity me too. And it's part of my identity and I've owned it now. I used to feel ashamed of it and now I I take pride in it. Mm. Took me a while though. So in terms of the inspirational elements and people, do you have an artist who inspires you? Either by the way that they work or the, yeah. what they produce? Yeah. Um, actually, I have one of each of those to answer each of those things. Oh. This is a it was, this is a difficult question. And I asked it to you as well. And I felt bad when I wrote it. Cause I was like, this is a hard question because I'm sure we're inspired by tons of people, but I identified two 
that came to mind that were very important. One of them is a friend and mentor, and one of them is just an artist that I've purchased prints from. Um, so I did say, you know, the answer is going to change a lot. Depends on where you're at. Depends on what you're looking at, who's around you, what you're doing. But people who are pretty, I'm, I'm identifying with a lot. One of them is Victoria Smith. Um, she created her own space called the Mojo Lab. She used to teach courses right now. Um, she's not, but I hope she does eventually again. And I've never actually met her, but we talk pretty frequently. And I consider her a friend, but again, also a mentor, which is something I never had before. Um, Victoria really speaks to my language, speaks my language, sorry, in terms of research-based sketchbook-rooted practice, if Ooh, that makes any sense. Um, yes, it does. But for those who don't understand, can you explain what <laughs> research-based sketchbook practice looks like? Yeah. So along with being an artist, I, I might be a little off, but I think Victoria did something involving anthropology. Um, and she is good at organizing her thoughts visually and has notebook, sketchbook, organizational strategies. Um, and she offered these courses and actually her courses were what got me back into producing again. They were the start of where I am now a few years ago. I was feeling isolated and I wasn't feeling creative and I was feeling stuck. And I felt something about her course and she reminded me that I could play and that I was an artist. And um, part of the thing I loved about her was I watched her being this very organized, like her organization of her art space and her art notebooks is how I feel. Like it's, it's how I work. And I always felt ashamed. Like I should be a messy, chaotic person. That's what an artist is. And I realized there's lots of different kinds of artists. And I had found someone who was like me and, um, once I worked with her, I came into my own voice very strongly. It was like it was waiting to be seen, and she witnessed me. Mm. I tell her all the time, um, and I, I do hope, I'm sure she will listen to this, and I'm shouting her out. And if she ever does teach classes again, take them. Um, she's just a very insightful, very wise woman and um, has changed my life. She was a strong um, woman figure, I think, that I needed um, at that time. And it's why I'm so confident in my work now. So she's one of them. And then the other mm -hmm. artist, her name is, and I might be mispronouncing her name. It's Ulia Thainal. And she creates these beautiful fantasy illustrations. I will link her site on our website. Um, she sells prints, super affordable prints. Um, and they're beautiful. And I have two pieces in my place right now. And they just change. They're just, they really speak to me. Her work is ethereal. It's flowy. It's watercolors. Fantasy. It reminds me of, um, these Finnish storybooks called Moomin Troll oh, um, yeah. that I grew up with. And I'll link to that too, because that's an amazing thing to look at. But um, her work is, to me, um, escapist. It transports me to another world. And that is my goal personally. So that informs me a lot, I think, just in terms of feeling and emotion. So those are the two people that came up for me right now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so much fun to delve into because I actually don't have a lot of familiar familiarity with those two. Thank you. You're welcome. Always, always looking for new inspo. Me too. So what about genres or arts, um, period, periods of art or period of time? Do you have a mm -hmm. particular love for an era? 
I am always floored by the synchronicity between you and me. Um, last night, Vanessa, my friend Vanessa and I were talking in depth about art movements. <laughs> um, and also I asked you something like this too. So it's like always, we're always doing the same thing. Um, so the way I started out my thought process about answering this question was that I teach this to my students. And when you teach, you're speaking about something you know about intrinsically, but it you're presenting it to other people. Mm-hmm. And you kind of come to these realizations as you're speaking about them. And I always, because I was a history minor in college, I think his, history is very important. And so I would always have in my old room, not the room I'm in now, but I always had a timeline and I had the list of names so that I could reference them when, when speaking. I'd say, check out that movement, check out that one, you know? But I would always say to them, they're landmarks or guideposts. They aren't static. So it's not like, oh, it's time for cubism. Cubism is only happening between this year and this year. And then it stopped. It's like they're kind of identifying moments in time. Mm -hmm. And I think these moments in time are super magical because they feel psychic. Because if you think about it, a lot of times these movements were kind of happening at the same time. And -hmm. people probably didn't even know that they were. Or if they did, do you know what I mean? And so... um, I appreciate that because time isn't static anyway, right? We're always learning something new about history and reframing it. Exactly. And the reason I'm sharing this thought, why it's kind of a long answer. um, And before I move on, I want to also say, I think it's important for students, anyone learning, to help identify if there's something they're drawn to, to let them know what tribe they're accessing. Because once you find your tribe, you feel validated and bolder. And you can explore that idea that you are a part of a group of people that were that were channeling a certain kind of energy that you are. Interesting. Even um, That's how I feel. Long, long ago. Yes. Oh, I love that. And, and you are changing it, You are, but you are accessing it. This is how I, I've been interpreting it. I call it a tribe, I guess, because you're kind of with your people. Oh, pixie. I you, love you that. Find, yeah, you find comradeship. So I've had different, you know, bondings with long dead artists. Like I had this moment with Egon Sheila. Um, oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> but it was like a short moment. Um, it was an edgy moment. <laughs> I have long standing relationships with with different artists. But if we're talking about movements, I would say the arts and crafts movement, symbolism, Art Nouveau, and folk art. Mm. But the thing that I was realizing as I was speaking to Vanessa last night was that I think it might be time for some new art movement terms because you get to the point where it's modern art and then it's, and it's like installation and it's like performance art and stuff. But there's some new, if you're, the thing that's cool right now is that, you know, I'm talking about the collective consciousness, our connection with each other psychically, but now we're on Instagram. And everyone's showing where they're at and you can see in real time what's happening. And I already know where my tribe is. Even if I'm not like friends with those people, I identify with their with their movement. And I created a name and I called it Spiritual Symbolist Folk Art. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's it yet. Um, but right now that's the words that are coming to me. Uh, but I think we should start renaming. We should start naming our own movement terms. What will be our movement when we are dead? <laughs> I was right. starting to think about that. And what's the history of the naming of these things? Who actually names them and why? This is something I really want to think about. So 
my thought ending of that whole thing is take that art snobs because it's not as like cut and dry. <laughs> like it's <laughs> totally fluid. Um, but yeah, that's my weird long winded answer to that. Excellente. Excellente. Oh, Pixie, what are your personal pains and gains from art school? Speaking of which, <laughs> um, art school linked me up. Oh, we went to SUNY Purchase, by the way. Um, Hello, SUNY Purchase. In New York. Hello. 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 And um, art school, you know, linked me up with friends. You are one of them. Um, I've been friends with for years and years. Ta-da. Um, yeah. And I'm it was pain. I'm also what? a pain. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we're probably both a pain off and on. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was the beginning of, a, of finding my visual language. It gave me many opportunities to try things in a safe environment. It exposed me to so many amazing ideas and people and things I never would have tried otherwise. Mm. I, I got to minor in history and majored in drawing and painting, which many schools wouldn't let you do. That was the cool part about that school. Yeah. Um, I traveled to Ireland through a program in the SUNY system. For those of you that don't know, it's like the state-sponsored system of schools, which is more affordable for people in the States. Um, it was a really important milestone in my artistic development. I had magical and inspiring experiences, all of which brought me a lot of amazing memories. But art school also revealed this deep pretentiousness and snobbery that the art world conjures up. And that would be present any school you went to, in my opinion. I mean, maybe not, but that's how it feels to me. Um, I never felt accepted or mentored by any of my teachers. Um, that had more experience than me. I felt like I was not good enough to be at that school. And the ideas I was starting to have that were being born, they, they were stunted because I didn't feel seen or supported. And that is why to reference what I said earlier, I wish someone had, had steered me in the direction of the movements I said mm -hmm. in a way that made me feel validated. I felt pretty worthless. I survived on sheer will and from the love of my friends. If you went to art school with visions and raw talent, you did great. But if you were like me with a lot to learn, and I came with a lot of baggage, I had a lot of insecurity, um, not having any professors that really noticed you or tried to nurture you did real damage to me. Um, and if I venture back to my immediate years after graduating, my art making was fraught with self-doubt because of that. And that was why my bounce back was difficult. Uh, that being said, I'm shouting out Phil Listengart and Judy Bernstein because those two teachers um, saw me. Yeah. Um, they didn't mentor me. They weren't in my department really. or they, I don't think Judy was there a lot, but she taught our drawing class, our figure class. And Phil, I took bronze casting with him. And he, I was making these strange creatures and dealing and using lighthouses as symbolism. And he never blinked an eye. He, he just helped me build this symbolist piece and never questioned it. And I didn't feel like I wasn't valid. And mm. so he really was important for me there. Um, so beautiful. I should have worked with them more, you know, and, and college is hard in general when you are trying to find yourself. Yeah. I also wasn't emotionally ready for that, you know, at no. all. were any of us, I mean, I don't know, but, um, and having yeah, better support in my time, right? In your life, because yeah. you're kind of like not, you're like a fledgling adult. You're not really an adult. <laughs> so like, there's right. just like basic adulting skills, like sleeping and showing up on time. Very hard. Right. And I was bad at those things. And, you know, also I was struggling in my personal family life. And I think my academic life would have um, been supported better if I had had those things. Mm -hmm. The support wasn't non-existent. It just wasn't enough. Um, mm. But I would still say overall that, I'm able to make art today because of that experience. 
the clickiness and snobbery is the real sad downside of the art world. But I figured out my own life and I do take that experience and then I try to change things by by teaching my students. Um, I, I've had really intense, I don't want to say intense, but I'm very clear with them and I say, if you go to art school, um, believe in yourself. If someone critiques you, take the things that work, but always listen to yourself first and foremost. Oh, um, fantastic. You know, Yes. And and don't be afraid to try like learn different things to inform your process, you know, and you you are allowed to make mistakes and you are allowed to make whatever you're making. Like, don't give up. Um, Bravo. Love so, that. yeah. So seeing what you don't like and identifying what helps you um, gets helps you get clear on what you are or who you are, what and who you are. And then your blo- art blossoms sooner or later. So overall, yes, to art school, but stand firm in your values and. I'd say I'm a very resilient person, so I made it through. That's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) So inspiring. (laughs) Good. (laughs) That's good. So if you could dream up the kind of art world that you want to see, you want to be in, what would that exist like? What would that be like? When you say art world, I'm going to assume you mean the world I'm trying to make maybe with the things I'm making. Um, So I've realized I'm channeling things. That's what I've been realizing. When I say channeling, I mean, I think I'm sensitive to energy in the world. And it sounds really weird and I don't mean it to be, but it's how I felt this whole time, like since college. And I always thought I was just being, I always was pretty belittling of myself, but now I'm realizing the more I lean into that, the better my work gets. Um, Mm. I'm channeling feelings and they're things that I'm interpreting in my way. And my way is important, just like Mm. any other artist's way is important, right? Energies. So I've said for years, the body of work I'm immersed in now has to do with what's below the surface. And I think that's what I'm making is I'm, I'm trying to unearth the beautiful things I think are there that are shrouded in the facade that we are in now in the malaise. I'm not happy with the way living in the world feels. I'm not going to mince my words on that. I am not comfortable. However, there's a lot there, beauty there, and I want to unearth that. Mm. And I don't know how to articulate it. What I'm making is how it makes me feel. Mm -hmm. It's beauty, it's softness, it's comfort, it's kindness. It's witnessing grief in a loving and healing way. And I think that that's light filled and I want things to feel like that as much as possible. So that's what I'm, yes. Something you just, something you just said really struck me when you said it's witnessing grief. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're processing as you make or is there, can you actually point to a figure or a style that you utilize that symbolizes or points to grief directly? I didn't know this when I was making what I started making back when I was in Ireland and that that is the show I'm building up to now. I am create every time I'm creating repetitive um, shapes that are referencing C type creatures, but they don't have to be, but people see them that way, which is totally fine with me. I mean, I see them that way. Um, 
And I realized that, like I said before, when I'm working on things, I have something on. I might have a movie on. I might have music on. And I do get drawn to certain kinds of music that's darker or more brooding, um, such as um, Tool is a big motivator for me. And I, I do feel it's important to bring him up, bring them up. That's a cathartic experience that allows me to process what I'm feeling. And then what comes out of me isn't dark, it's transmutation. So I'm taking what I feel and letting myself feel it while I'm working. Right. And then I'm changing it into something else. And that's always what I've done. Whenever I tried to make dark things, it really didn't feel authentic and it didn't work. I was trying to, I was like, artists are supposed to make what they feel. They're feeling dark. I need to make dark, gothy things. But it just didn't work for me. It was okay, but like it, it didn't feel right. So um, I hope that answered that question. It did. It did. I heard you saying that through the culmination of what else is in your environment and also what comes out of what you make, you're processing grief. It's not necessarily the imagery of darkness and sorrow, but what comes out of it once you truly are honest and in it. It gives me energy. I work with it and, uh, and through it. Yeah. Fuel um, for the fire, people. Fuel for the fire. And um, it's been, I've always been doing it, but now I realize what it is. Can we go f- a little bit further into what you're currently working on? That show yeah, that it's a perfect segue. Into? Yeah. Um, I'm finishing up an idea I started at Purchase. It was my senior project. I call it Fiber Art. I have a funny story, actually in real time that you're going to laugh at. Mm -hmm. I have been waxing poetic about how I'm using felt. For a long time, I was using um, raw canvas. I'm working raw canvas on raw canvas. And I don't want to give too much away because I'm planning on like super seriously releasing this in a few months. And I'm I'm getting closer. I'm trying to find a venue in Pittsburgh. Um, And then I'll be, you know, you know, changing my artistic patterns and trying to really make a living with it. But anyway, um, I was working on raw canvas wasn't painting on it. I've been working with raw canvas on raw canvas and drawing on it with markers. And now I'm backlighting them. And I, and I found this different material and I was stretching felt on canvas. Guess what I'm actually stretching on canvas? Flannel. (laughs) Um, I'm not using felt. I'm using flannel. It's not a huge deal, but I've been just been like, I'm using felt. I love felt. Joseph Bowie's used felt. (laughs) Like I love him. He's an amazing performance artist and I'm not using felt. What's the difference? felt is a little rougher actually felt wouldn't be as soft as flannel is felt is more tough and like um sticky thick. oh it's like adhesive yeah. i remember like yeah. felt, you could mm-hmm. like interactive um boards in like children's libraries and stuff it, this, this is not felt it's flannel um mm-hmm. and i i was laughing at myself because i was i was feeling this deep kinship with the material and having the spiritual experience using it and writing about it and i've been calling it felt the whole time and i'm like wait joseph boys i'm so sorry while i do appreciate and have deep feelings about felt i'm not using that <laughs> like, and i can still and i'm i don't know if i'm making sense joseph Bowie's um survived world war ii he was a german artist and he um had these memories of being wrapped in felt um when he crashed in a plane, I think in World War II, when he used it in his artwork, and p- 
part of my process and part of my work is every single aspect of making it needs to be comforting to me. So if we're talking about that grief, me using the raw canvas was helping me in art school not be so OCD. It was it gave me more control. I wasn't dealing with paint. It wasn't as expensive. I could carry it with me everywhere and it became a lifestyle choice. My art was an extension of my mental health self-care. And that's how that evolved into what I'm saying now, which is it is this transmutation, right? Um, and so I started when I decided that canvas wasn't working because canvas is rough. It's, it is not a comforting thing to touch, but the color, as I said, neutral tones was great. I had, I took this um, AP prep course so I can teach AP art, which is a college level course for art classes in high school. And I um, expanded upon my idea and I realized that the flannel <laughs> um, was perfect and the it was. It felt more translucent. It's buttery. It, it's this. Whenever I work with it, it calms me down. Um, and it's. It actually. It feels luxe. It's. It's thicker. It has more. It has more bulk. So right now, I'm working on these canvases. I'm using flannel, not felt. Um, <laughs> and the reason why I wanted to mention this though is because I still love Joseph Buys for the fact that he created a myth around a material, and I think that I'm doing that. I think that the flannel is a source of healing for me. And I'm wrapping in a way because I'm making these large canvases and you're and they're going to be glowing. It's the soft, glowing experience. Right. And the flannel is the conduit. Um, along with these pieces I'm creating, um, there's some color that's going to be coming in. I have uh, smaller paintings of ethereal, almost um, hidden birds that are in watercolor. And so that will be inter- interspersed in the show. Ooh, that's pretty funny. Working with flannel. Working with flannel. <laughs> correction. Um, correction. And I tried to figure out a way to make that artistic and beautiful. And I was like, no, it's just funny. You're going to have to just make that funny. <laughs> like, it's just, it's okay. I love it. Because then, you know, part of the kind of Ponzi elitism of art is like, the the artist is working with a um, hard to find, hard to resource <laughs> material. It's very unique and very indicative of their process. She didn't realize it wasn't the thing. It's also this other thing, which uh, points us to how confusing life truly is. Yes. And also leads back to folk art because I'm using something that people make quilts with, you know, and folk art is definitely in some circles looked down upon. And I resist that very deep because you can use it for anything. And um, I'm transforming the material and the assumption of what it's for. You see that in any. (laughs) Yeah. Any creative space, whether it's like food, you know, like there's foodies that like, you know, you have to go to a Michelin star restaurant, but like the street food, you know, yeah, is where it's all, it all stems from. It's like all the inspiration like starts on those, you know, night markets. Yeah, absolutely. On the street. On the and street. so it's like with flannel. Folk art is, is like the street food. <laughs> street flannel. That's <laughs> where we all start. Yep. Mm. So funny story. Thanks. Oh, good story. So um, when you're teaching art, what's mm-hmm. your communication style when you like approach the students or when you're talking about art? Do you have like a sort of quirk or like a thing that you think is uniquely you? The first thing I wrote was there's a balance of power. It is not me talking down. It's an equality. I mean, I have structures and boundaries in place. I am the adult in the room, but they are in charge of their learning. So they teach themselves how to do things and I give them pointers. I love I am, that. Yeah, I love it too. I am purely myself, you know, within reason, you know, I'm professional, but I'm me. I'm 
Pixie. They call me Pixie. They call me Miss Pixie. Actually, it's been amazing. I mean, it's amazing to have seniors come in and say, Hey, Miss Pixie, what do you think of my project? You know, it's just, or when they get mad at me, I love telling the story. They'll be like, Miss Pixie, you wrote me up. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you can't get mad at me because that's my name. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, that's yeah, people call me that. And it's just so liberating. Um, and I have at the bottom of my email, like whenever I send it out professionally, it's Jessica Pixie Sawchuck. And I'm like, yeah, that's my name. So um, it was a bold move, but it was important in my reclaiming of myself these past few few years. So anyway, um, that was a tangent. I apologize. So yeah, uh, I, I you know said it was a dynamic. It's a dynamic and back and forth style. We are in conversation. The power setup is even playing field. Of course, I am in charge, but I aim to make my art room a working studio. So I'm teaching them um, and showing them how to create an environment where they are curious. They teach each other. A lot of times they'll show each other how to do things. I let them, I'm saying, we're learning watercolors. You're going to make a sketchbook page in which you look up some videos, learning how to make watercolor, uh, use watercolors and how they work. And you're going to create a page teaching me how to use it, design a page. Oh, nice. And they learn fine and they don't even need me. And actually there's a name for this, of course, in education speak. And I hate this stuff, but it's like flipped classroom and it's genius. It gives it, it gives onus and empowerment to students. So I, I'm really owning it. I love it. Um, and I make work with them. So I've been bringing my work in and they know what I'm working on. And I work with them and we talk as we're working and we give each other feedback. And it's just wonderful because they'll tell me what oh, they think and I tell them. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I'm basically going to work in an art studio and it's great. Oh my God. So Can I just say that I would have loved to have you as an art teacher. You know, you inspired me because you said you were an art teacher who made art in the room. And I was like, I'm doing that. And oh, I was like, that's cool. genius. Yeah, you had a teacher, you said, in high school who did that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Was, yep. Uh, I'll stop there. I was going to say something unkind. <laughs> I feel you. High school's rough. Yeah. No, there's there's a lot of um, – I think the thing that's really interesting about teachers is that they are so human and often we don't allow teachers to be human at all. We expect them to be either – flawless superhuman saints uh or like you know pillars and you know when they fall god do we really push them down further treat your teachers better people but i will say that coming to the table in the style i'm coming to i think they see me automatically as a, a person and i don't feel like i get that i feel like they really see me as this weird awkward strange person that they can talk to i think and that will you know, be why they love you the most because you are I, authentic. I wouldn't say that, but you know, I've definitely, you know, some students definitely do not like me and that's fine. I'm not really there to be liked, but I'd like them to dig me in some way so they can be inspired and make art. You know, can I just want them it? to get inspired. I don't care if they like me or not. I'd love them to, but not everyone's going to like everyone and that's okay. So all I need is I want them to find their voice and feel empowered. And if they get that, then I've done my job. Mm. Yeah. It's not fun being a kid. No, it sucks. I hated it too. <laughs> so I have a lot of empathy. Well, 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 well. As a kid, do you have like a pivotal illustration from like a book or a movie that's like super important, pivotal, formative? I worked hard to not list 50 million things. I tried to, <laughs> I tried to hone it in. <laughs> to the things that came up first. And Dark Crystal came up first. Um, Fantasia, 
but specifically the first animation, which is the Takata and Fugue piece, which was basically synesthesia. I mean, they basically take this classical piece and they animated it in the 50s. Um, and it's beautiful. And I showed it to my students. I think that really defined me. And uh, the illustrations I was talking to you about made by Tove Jansen, who's a Finnish artist who wrote these books called Finn Family Moomin Troll. And I grew up reading those books and they really informed me a lot. So those three things I would say, there's other things, but those three things are very pivotal, instrumental in my development. It. I don't know what came first, me mm. imagining dots and dashes along with music or... Mm that Fantasia movie. Like mm. as a child, I have no idea which came first. So you got into it too when you were a kid then? It was interesting. Hypnotic. Right? Hypnotic. It's really good um, and pretty surprising because Disney's weird, but like that was a moment where I was like, you guys got it. Like, I mean, they had some issues with that one too. There's like racist stuff. It's really bad, but there are some really cool moments in that movie and that was one of them. Agreed. Mm. That's the dinosaur one. Oh, it was hard. Actually, the dinosaur one was a little hard for me. It was scary. It was scary. I remember. But you know what I like the most? Not the dinosaur part. The beginning of it with the formation of the Earth. That oh, was genius. Yeah. They could have just done that and not done the dinosaurs. Now it'd have been fine. That was good. It was lava and the space, and I showed that to my kids too. Yeah, geysers and mountains crashing yeah. together and forming. Ooh, it was beautiful. Yeah. And that was when Disney's artistic style, I felt, was more rich. Indeed. Anyway. We Is there any... No. Uh, <laughs> no, Pixie, we are up for whatevs. We are. Um, is, is there any medium of art that you haven't explored yet that you want to? I'm like, I feel like I have a little bit, but not enough. Um, I really want to learn how to use gold leaf. I want to get more into typography and bookmaking. And I also want to be able to make short films, whether it's animation or animating my work. I kind of played with it a little in college, but I have not much confidence. And I also want to kind of record some education videos and teaching. So I'm that's something I'm nervous about, but I would like to navigate through. Sounds like you're heading toward it. That's great. Yep. Nice. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, uh, have you had a really great time at an art opening or an exhibition that was like really good? And can you describe it? I mean, the first thing I thought of was Threnody. Uh, that was the piece that Purchase had. It was the large, I'm, I'm for some reason I'm blanking on his name. Um, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but um, it's okay. Uh, there was this amazing artist. I think he shows there in a secular fashion, like every few years his work will be released. And they were large, you remember, right? They were large, dark, um, womb-like, immersive paintings. It was dimmed, the light was dimmed, and you were just, you were just inundated with color. You were just I just in. looked up what threnody means, by the way. What does it mean? A song, hymn, or poem of mourning mm -hmm. composed or performed as a memorial to a dead person. Okay. So... Of course I liked it because it was an altar, you know, that's, I mean, you know, I didn't know that's what I was into, but that, that's what I was into. I remember going to that and sitting in there multiple times and, you know, not that anyone asked for advice, but I'm just saying those moments when you are, when you are enamored with something like that, that's your clue. 
Like you're trying to find your voice. See, I'm going into teacher mode, but like you're trying to find your voice. I tell my students to follow the heart leaps. If your heart is leaping, you need to follow that. And that was something that I'll never forget. And I wish I could see it again. Um, I like being in an immersive experience, an immersive environment, which is probably why I'm making an immersive environment for my show. So yeah, that show stands out a lot to me. I'm really desperately trying to find out who that is now. It's okay. We'll find it and list it. No. Cleve Gray. Cleve Gray. Yep. Boom. Done. That's him. We'll sh- we'll do it in the sh- show notes. We will well. definitely do it in the show notes. I, I don't know when he, I think he shows periodically at purchase. So maybe I have to go back. Mm. I'd like to see it again. Mm. You didn't necessarily explain what it was about that show that was the thing for you. Like, is there something that can be repeated in that, that you would like to see? In my work or just in general? In general. I mean, I really want to be given, when I say spiritual, I'm not talking religious. I'm talking, I want it to be sacred. I want it to be, this is important and I'm giving you a moment to, you know, to experience this. I want it to be sensual. Right. I want it to transform my world. You know, as as I said, you know, I do think I'm kind of an escapist artist. I'm trying to escape or create another reality. And when artists do that and they transport me, I'm in. And and they need to be transporting me in a pl- to a place that's soft, that's comforting, that's honest. Not I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be terrified. I'm already terrified all the time. I want to be I want it to be a transmutation. And so for me, that work did that. That's what I am doing with mine. And whenever I see a piece that holds me like that, did that answer? Yeah, there was a, you, I felt held like the space emitted an aura that I was like going into, like a bubble Yep, surrounded you and the pieces of art together. So you went into it and then you were inside something and outside was, you know, unconsequential. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, thanks for reviving that memory for me. Where, um, oh, sorry. No, I want another question. What other creative art goes hand in hand with your art? Like if you were going to combine your art with another medium? Scent. Ooh. <laughs> stealing my, my, my jam. <laughs> I mean, that's Where's my that? issue. I'm so sensitive to smell. I annoy people like this whole pandemic. I'm like, I'm not using alcohol. I mean, that sounds so privileged, but it's like, I can't use the alcohol smell. It makes me sick. So I use lavender stuff. Like I scent is so important to my experience in the world. So yeah, I would like to incorporate scent somehow. Yum. I mean, getting something from you, like I I was going through old letters that you had sent Mm -hmm. me. They have your smell still. Are you serious? That's how much I care about it. (laughs) Yeah. Has to smell good, has to smell clean. Well, where would you like to see your art? You know, obviously we know that there's going to be something delicious burning or something smelling going on. I'll well, try. What would the space, where would it, would it hang somewhere in particular or in particular context or platform? I'm looking for a raw empty space where I can dim the lights and where I can hang all the pieces up and have the lights glowing. But I wrote, to myself any anywhere you know i 
I want to transform things. I'm good at that. I'd like to have any space and be able to make it feel better than it already does. So I'm pretty open to anywhere. Beautiful. Yep. How do you like to share your art right now? It's a gradual process, but it's building up, gaining confidence, trying to do it with a lot of pride and confidence. So with discretion, showing things to friends, family, some people, not many family, but some, a life coach I meet with um, in small pieces and tentatively. I send out a newsletter right now every month. There's a lot of things I'm preparing. I plan to be releasing all of this in the fall. So I'm pretty close to being done. I have multiple things I'm doing, but once I release it, that's when I'm, I'm going to start saying commissions, works for sale, making prints. I do this. Um, I'm saying it now, but it's, I'm getting all the pieces in order so I can just do it more smoothly. And I'm afraid, but that's the goal and that's where I'm going. I hear you, darling. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where does inspiration live inside of Pixie? So we had a conversation about this a while back and I wanted to include it because it was a revel- revelation for me. You had asked me, well, this actually answers the other question. So I'm going to cut, maybe I'll answer both at the same time. You asked about, do I dream up inspiration? And so, um, no, uh, I do not get inspiration from dreams per se, because my dreams are limited and the ones I have are very um, targeted to certain things I need to deal with. I don't dream a lot, but I do access the dreams of the earth probably is how I would describe it. And that's why I said before channeling energies. So um, I don't get it from dreams. I get it from the energies around me. I'm responding to those environments and they are giving me things generously. Um, My first answer was, where does inspiration live inside you? I said, grief and alchemy. Um, so I feel and have felt in my life a lot of deep grief. It's just something that I've accepted. It's something I've been dealing with. It's very difficult and I'm always transmuting it. I've always made work in spite of feeling out of place and feeling deeply uncomfortable. Therefore, that is why my art is meant to feel, make me feel comfortable. I mean, I hang it up around me to comfort me. It's a tool. Uh, so my work is an emotional experience translated or transmuted as I've spoken about before. I am responding to interior reactions that feel like jumps in my chest. It is a, I'm starting to lean, I've said this before and I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but I'm, Mm. it is a physical feeling that I'm starting to trust in Mm. and I'm learning to follow it. Whenever I make anything in response to that, things go well. And it's in your chest. And it's in my chest. Um, and, uh, do I dream up the inspiration? Like I said, no, um, the earth and energies around me come through me and then I respond. Mm. So I almost feel like my question, my second to last question around creativity almost should have been the first question I asked you, Mm. but maybe I'll caveat given Everything that we've talked about, what is creativity to you? Experiences and emotions being transformed and explored. Mm. It's not always something you make. 
but it's seeing the world. It's being curious and being interested and looking deeper. Mm. That's what creativity is. Excellent. So is your creative making, your art making time linked to a particular season or internal rhythm for you? You talked about the incubation cycle Mm -hmm. and the production cycle, but what about seasons? What about rhythms? My, the first thing that came to mind was winter. I think I'm a winter person all the time. In summer, I'm I'm a winter person. Mm. I feel safer in winter. And I think it's because I don't feel like anyone expects me to perform. And when I don't feel like anyone's expecting me to, I produce. (laughs) Very intuitive answer. It's weird that I just said that. But um, I'm not, I get nervous in the summertime because I feel overwhelmed by all the stimulation. In the wintertime, yeah. And I, I still let myself engage with it, but I do it limit, in a limited way. And I allow myself to come back to a winter environment. So winter, I cultivate winter, even in summer, it's a quiet interior space. So I'm always cultivating that. Phenomenal. Thank you so much for your questions, my darling pixie. Mm-hmm. Your answers. I mean, wow. Yep. I've been transported with your mind. Yay. That's great. Are you ready for the other half? (laughs) As ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) I have your questions ready. Okay. All right. Um, So what is an artist and why are you one? Again, weird because you ask me the same thing. Yeah. I think that I agree with everything that you said. And also want to add that artists are creatures that soak up what is. And like the moon or like light, they shine back. Often it can be filtered through their own lens or reinterpreted. But essentially we're mirrors. And... That's, I think, something universally true, whether it's a musician, dancer, uh, painter, poet, we're mirroring and reinterpreting it or interpreting it. And why would you say you are an artist? Because that's my mode. I am observing and then playing it back. Uh, And when I think about the art that I make, I am trying to present my viewpoint of what the world either is or where we're headed to or something that we've missed that I think is important. That's really cool. Mm. And then how would you describe your visual language? I think a mixture of soothing, smoothness, with stimulation. So it's the kind of tension or balance between the two, but essentially both things are happening in my art. I like to create either like a smooth blending of colors or a really um, elegant line, but I also love color and scent and sound. So I want that stimulation there as well. I love it. (laughs) Can you list a few colors? Within that language? 
that come to mind at first? So the shocking pinks and the uh, myriad complexity of greens. Makes sense. Mm. Once again, those colors are behind you in your room. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, now I'm going to hear your perspective on art movements. Do you identify with an art movement? Um, I know this is a multifaceted question, but do you think that art movements are still relevant? Um, do you think it's time to come up with new terms? I think I was wanting to see what you thought, you know, because I was thinking a lot about it. Can you invent a new movement for your work? What do you think about that? So art movements in general, I think, I, I just think that we've been doing the same thing for millennia. Uh, it's just that we've, uh, it's, it's positioned in a certain time based on the parameters that that era has had, um, the materials that were available and centered in the time and, and relevance of that period. But we've been just, it's, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Art movements are just the same thing. It's, it's artists, it's people translating what is happening to us, responding to what is happening to us, playing with the materials available and reveling in things that are new discoveries. And yes, I do think it's time to come up with new terms. Um, one of the things that really bothers me right now is this recycling of what's already happened. Yeah. And I'm just over it. I'm over movies being just reinterpretations of old movies. Yeah. Um, for me, what's fascinating about Instagram and TikTok and, um, you know, people being glued onto their phones is there's this opportunity to share really rapidly and it's fascinating, but I do think it's a time suck and I, I'm very mm -hmm. concerned that, um, critical thinking isn't happening anymore. So mm -hmm. I'm really drawn to people who are slow burning uh, and, and talk about that process of like, this is what I've been sitting on for a really long time, or this is what I have to do to get my body into the, mm -hmm. into the right energy to create these pieces yeah. or, you know, like long time lapse showing, you know, just eons of time and commitment. Uh, this fast culture is the most grating thing in the world for me. Um, so sorry to be a little bit of a grumpy goat. No, but it makes sense. I am really fed up with the current, you know, popular tone. Uh, just fast, 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 fast. Um, I saw this really funny meme and I'm a hypocrite because I live on, on social as well. I saw this meme that was like artists uh, of Instagram spend most of their time just making Instagram posts. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. That's their artistry, which is that wrong? I mean, it's a whole other podcast conversation, but it's, yeah. it's really interesting. It's real time art movements being created, but it's also distracting. Um, I think so. I think so. Um, do I really, what you said I would absolutely subscribe to that school of movement, the spiritualist, symbolist folk artists. Mm -hmm. I would say spiritualist because we are way more open and safer to talk about um, communion without having to be beholden to a church. Exactly. Um, the other part, symbolism, 
I, I just, I love, I love the design of symbols and Me the too. language of symbols. And I like the zeitgeistiness. I mean, this is the part that I like about Instagram is that we, you get to tap into the, the collective consciousness Yeah, and it's global. The folk art, what I essentially love about folk art is that boiled down to its simplest terms, it's dots and dashes and lines and color. Yeah. And I just love, (laughs) I just love abstraction. I love boiling something down to its most simplest terms. Me too. And I am getting strong heart leaps in my chest right now listening to this. <laughs> this is a, It feels like we're part of a total shift in consciousness and we don't but even I'm realize not, we're part of it. Yeah. I must say, I've got to get back on my soapbox for a minute and say that the, the movement that I would like to invent is actually a new world requirement where art is mandatory instead of yep. peripheral. And that harkens back to my, you know, what I feel about the pretentious clickiness that it's not just for certain people, it's for everybody. Yeah. Not elitist, not peripheral, not second thought. You know, if you are um, an industrial architect and you need to design a huge shopping mall, you need to either be an artist, trained artist, and be proving what you are doing to bring artistry to that space and not just stability or, um, you know, a, a proper waste, a proper um, use of material and, and money space and money. Yeah. I want you to be able to prove what is the artistic experience that people will have when they come into your space. I want that to be fucking mandatory. And actually I can't speak with firm confidence on this, but I'm pretty sure I know that like in Japan, I think it is like feng shui, like the balance, it's like part of the design. Like you can't just throw something up. It has to, and I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure there's more consciousness in what's designed in a lot of places and other, some other cultures. And I would like to be a culture that cares about that, you know? Agreed. And I think that when we have another podcast, perhaps about education, um, the designs of schools and how uninspiring they are and what that does to the development of our children creatively. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, but it is, it's pointing to the fact that we think that spaces, landscape, buildings, and life should be governed on or predicated by control and order. And right. fuck that. It's not helpful. <laughs> it's a part of it, but it's not the dom. it shouldn't be the dominating part. It doesn't do anything for our our spirits at all. If you're not also about curiosity, right, play, and community interaction, right. then you are killing us. And that's why I feel like things are not good right now. Yeah, we were so we are so severed from what is natural. Yeah. Okay, soapbox, put away. That was for a now. good one. That was a good one. Um, so that we just went like macro a little now we're going into you again like your your creative process what is that like it's life (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. so um i take a great effort to step outside the door most days uh and this was pre-pandemic as well i just have real difficulty transitioning into going out or moving 
um, I'm very stubborn and enjoy being a rock in a place and focused. So when I have to go outside, the thing that gets me excited again and gets me back in my flow is observation. So pattern finding, um, people watching, my eyes immediately go into like this game that I've always played my entire life is like finding the color and, and making it like a solid line that connects whatever I'm looking at to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. Like I just find the blue. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm so very, very, color. very, I'm very attracted to color. So if I yeah. see like a really, you know, as your rich blue ocean in front of me, my whole, like that's, that's my day. I'm good. Um, so my creative process is my eyeballs and my brain that -hmm. tells me that this is significant. This moment that I am seeing is significant and that's the lens through everything else. Do you get a feeling like the way I describe it or do you feel like that's a little different for you? Do you feel like there's like this like emotional response or is it from a different part of your body or is that non-existent for you? No, it's kind of gut driven. So not a lot of cognitive awareness of what's happening. Um, I'm impulse driven. Uh, if I think too much about it, I will think myself out of action. Got it. That's so interesting to hear because those are two different, me and you, they're two different ways, but they you get to the same result. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I'm obsessed with finding out why why? What? How does that? How does that work? What's the inner workings? What's What's the real thing that's going on underneath all of this facade? And yet, I enjoy being a mystery unto my own self. I have to think about that a lot for a little while. That's cool. I, I'd love to like take a poll of all the artists I know and see how each one of them finds their path. What helps them know what to do? Articulating that is pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it's all it's all desire and impulse for me. Like even if someone wants me to do something, it's not <laughs> I'm not driven by feedback at all. Right. And but would you say that you are channeling some kind of energy or do you is that not resonate with you? Hmm. If it's happening, it goes it goes on without me right. cogn- cognitively processing that. Right. Of course I do think I'm a channel. Of course. Yeah. But also I have no idea. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Indeed. Okay. Kind of a two-part question. So I guess nouns and verbs. So like what inspires you and why, and then who, and then list five people. So what inspires you a few things and then who? Love, I love this question. What inspires me? (laughs) Color. Uh, You just said it. I know. Uh, The, oh, so color. (laughs) I love how humans are obsessed with color too, because we create languages for the most similar tones, but they have different colors and different mm. color names. Mm-hmm. I like a part of me wanted to be, I think the job's already done. Like we're done naming colors, but I wanted to be a color namerer for like a crayon factory 
or like a house paint company. Yeah. Why are you not doing that? That's perfect. Because I'm too busy using the materials. I know. I know. It <laughs> but, just seems yeah. like a perfect job. So there's that part that I think is so fascinating that humans are obsessed with color. But also there's a really good animalistic reason why, because color tells us things like fruit becomes like a ruby toned or really vibrant when it's saying, eat me. And, you know, mushrooms, yeah. mushrooms say, I am, I am otherworldly, pay attention, you know, and lightning tells us that this is something powerful, blindingly powerful. And, you know, the darkness of caves and like all the moss colors, like all of these are so rich and telling, you know, you can evoke all of these scenery, all of these vibes just with color alone. Yeah. It's my religion. I feel you. And is that the only thing you'd want to say in that answer? Like that's color. That's the thing, huh? Well, so, you know, it's something you were saying, like describe your process. Yeah. What inspires me? Those are the same answer. Life. That's true. Everything that is, and everything that was. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's deep. The universe inspires me, and then five people who inspire me. Five people. Why? Anybody? You are yeah. so mean. You're so mean. I can't. I believe thought I was you. actually giving you a gift. Five people <laughs> gives you choices. No, because then I was like. I had answers in compartments. So I have like people who are in my immediate, because I'm relational. I'm community-based. Right, that, right. Like, I depend on my nearest and dearest. I can't right. live without connection. And so there's people who inspire me because they add richness to my life or they, I am because they are. But then there's writers or activists and then artists and musicians. Like all, I had to kind of, to settle my own yeah. ego, egoic desire to not be contained, I had to answer in all of those categories. Tough. So in the in the show notes, get prepared to get about 35 answers to your five question answer question. That sounds good. But I'm going to do a little homage to um, the people who I speak to potentially almost every day if not every day. So DK, David Kavanaugh, he inspires me because of his soul and his ability to capture beauty. He might not define it as such, but he is capturing beautiful things daily. Mm -hmm, I agree. And sharing it. And Pixie, because your persistence to remain in your softness and yet you have this fire. So like this gentle, I, I don't even know how to describe it beyond gentle fire. I love that. And Rosa Rowan, because she just did this brave leap of faith to live as a creative and like leave a relatively cushy lifestyle um, to just live out her creative dreams. I can relate to that. Um, uh, Karen Bula, because like my first experience with Karen is like she redefined sex toys and pleasure. Um, her uh, sort of flagship company, Love and Luna, is all about crystal pleasure wands and crystal yoni eggs. And it was never hypersexualized. Like you never saw 
like, you know, a woman doing a pinup pose. She mm-hmm. was always, it was always just the soft realness, just a hand on a pillow. And, mm-hmm. you know, you would go to her and she would just, it would just be, it's, it was a complete redefining of sex and pleasure. I when love I, that. It was just phenomenal. And then also like her ability to stare right into the abyss and not be scared or do it anyway. And then her commitment to community. And lastly, my family, which is sort of, I'm grouping um, a collective, but they're like one. So my sister, my mom, my dad, and my child. Um, without, I just would be nothing without those people, literally and metaphorically. That was a beautiful list. I love that. I really want to say everybody else, but I'll just go put it in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge of limiting it gives it a real, I don't know, um, power. So I'm glad that you chose those things. I think that's good. It keeps it focused. And those, <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's interesting to know like what comes up first, you know, that's interesting or what you end up choosing anyway. Um, so what have you been working on lately and where is this work coming from in your own psyche? And you can also go into what your favorite medium is and why in that question. What I've been working on lately is the figure as in our bodies, a few bodies in particular, because I have access to a mirror and I can take photographs of my favorite model. So I work off of the the bodies that surround me for the most part. Um, and I think it's really important and it's coming from my psyche because I am so fucking sick of men drawing women's bodies and that being our m- mostly, mm. uh, you know, that's the... <laughs> That's what we have most of. Like that's the main course. When you think about art, the main course is men making art. And a lot of it is women's bodies. And I'm just revolutionizing that in my own possible way going, I'm a woman. I'm making beautiful new drawings of sensual, realistic, Mm -hmm. fairly represented Mm -hmm. female bodies and I own this. I own the gaze and I own the model. Like I own, you know, it's my body. Fuck off. <laughs> Again, feeling the heart leaps. Solidarity. <laughs> Liberating. That's that's really cool. And um, medium. My favorite medium is watercolor because it's fluid. It still transports deep, deep, rich pigments, but it's very fluid. And I like that it's slightly unforgiving. It's of a time. You don't get to go back and rework it to some degree because you'll see the reworking. And I just, I really like that. It's like that you're, you're present. You're present in the moment and then it's done. And yes, it's like- all of a sudden. And it's so deliciously liquidy, you know? The more water you add, the more, the more movement's going to happen. 
and then it interacts with whatever type of paper you're using. It's just got so much going on for it. It's just a fantastic medium. And um, nice. and Prismacolor, because of almost mm-hmm. like the opposite, because you can work it to death. <laughs> you can just keep pushing more layers onto it, and it gets this like juicy plumpness the more you push into it. I think Prismacolor pencils are your spirit animal. I just feel like you should be the poster child for that. I don't know. Just like looking at your hair right now, like that's definitely a color in the set. Like it's just yeah. Ru- Rudo hair purple something. Rudo purple. Should be a name. You should be named after a Prismacolor pencil. I'm going to try to make that happen. Oh, but I would want it to be a rainbow changing colored pencil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need the tech for that. We need the tech for that. Yeah. DK, get on it. <laughs> what? I just feel like he could figure it out. Okay, so <laughs> um <laughs> so that was meaningful. Like it's true. So next step, next question. Mm-hmm. Artistic milestones. What I mean by that is when you think of like bodies of work you've done in your life, um, what, what are ones that stand out and then how do they coincide with things going on at the t- at the time? Yeah, that's so great because uh, my parents identified that I was an artist really early on. Yeah. Um, they probably saw moments like what you were describing, you know, going to a family member's house and just like just completely being transfixed and transported with artistic materials. Yeah. They identified that so early in me. And so I can kind of count through the years my milestones because I grew up. And my artistic practice grew with me. So, you know, all the things that I think are milestones speak to the same thing, which is determination, fascination, and mastery. Um, Mm. But I guess if I were to be specific on milestones, it was when I feel like I was really nailing portrait art. Like I would draw all my family members, I would draw my friends. And I can go back through like the one or two sketchbooks that I have uh, and I see the essence of that family member, that friend, it's them. It might not like be the most technically brilliant, but there is something there that's them. And that's the mastery of portrait and, and, and the figure. So like really being able to truly draw a strikingly beautiful figurative drawing and then learning about line work, you know, doing blind contouring, which is when you have your pen to your paper and you're not looking and your eyes tracing what you see and your hand is following with you, but you're not too worried about what's showing up on paper because you're in communion with like the eye and the hand are in communion. And that, that particular line work technique is just phenomenally important to me. And then, you know, mastering certain types of paints, like really understanding Prismacolors. And then, you know, a little bit more recently, the light sculptures that I made in college and then kind of started recreating a little bit here and there when I have the opportunity to do so. That to me feels like a really important milestone. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel fixated on the lights that you make. Um, 
do you feel like they coincide with things going on in your life? Do you feel more drawn to making those at certain times or not? Or is it just... I think they represent my own transcendental uh, detachment from my own body or like mm-hmm. our permanence because there's this moment in a black delicious song where Saul Williams, the poet Saul Williams, he's also a musician, but um, he says he's, he's describing all of these things. And one of them is um, light encased by flesh. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really in that moment, mm-hmm. I truly got Buddhism. I truly got, the transcendence. And I was like, I just need to make something like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love glowy things. So I think that's always been a, something I fixated on that you made. There's, there's a real power with um, illumination. Mm -hmm. And I just love what you said about how blind contour is the communion between the hand. I'm going to start saying communion when I teach it because I teach it. I love teaching it and it's, I spend time on it because it's a magical process. I, I try to make my adult learners do it when I do my figure drawing classes. I teach figure drawing and um, I feel like it's, it's somewhat unfair to push them too far because there's like a broad variety of exposure and, and, and practice in the room. Yeah. And I don't want to freak anybody out and get people so out of the comfort zone that they don't want to go back to those stretchy places. So right. I make it, I make it real, I make the stakes real low. And I just say, draw what's in front of you and just in the air, try to get your hand to mimic what your eye is seeing. Yep. I tell them to trust the weird. I tell them things are weird. <laughs> I tell them things are weird. Let them be weird. I tell them to trust what they see. So it's I love definitely how art, when you're describing an art process, it always, you just sound like freaking. Mm-hmm. The most, the most intelligent, the most zen. <laughs> I was saying, mm-hmm, but I was going to say you sound so strange. <laughs> um, I guess that's zen. Because I just, when I first, this is a tangent, but when I first, I don't want to keep talking about it, but I'm just saying when I first learned how to teach, it was really hard because I was trying to verbalize something I just did. So yeah. I had to come up with my own language and this is how I describe it. <laughs> It's like poetry. It is. All right. Um, so world, the world. What are things about the world that you deal with that make the process of making art for you challenging? Um, and again, I'm going to kind of lump the next question in with it. Um, how does the state of your mental health affect your creative practice? I do think that the state of the world affects our mental health. I think they're all kind of connected. So how are you coping with that and how, what are the challenges you face? So the connection between the world itself and mental health is very easy for me to understand, but I do not think that um, art making for me or the mm-hmm. challenges for me are connected at all. As in, irregardless of whatever mental health state I'm in, irregardless of whether the world is being bombarded by bombs or in a moment of peace and, and revelation, it, it, it's, it just is. Mm-hmm. The art making just is. Mm-hmm. So I, fi- I feel like 
one is secondary. It's really hard to make um, art making primary. It's like I said, it's still a nice to have, not a have to have in society. So I do feel um, the challenge in carving out time. I feel the challenge in finding worth within myself as an artist because it feels lonely when the thing that you live for isn't part of daily life, like web design and coding and internet security, yep. like capitalism, commerce. It's it's power-based. It's not incorporated into most people's daily lives. Like art is easily forgotten. It's It's not a popular pastime. Like let's go to a club, let's drink some cocktails and look at art. No, you're going to go and you're going to dance and you're going to be wild. Like art is secondary. Um, even when it's on, like, I want art to be on the streets everywhere. I don't want it to be seen as elitist, but that to me is a challenge between the world as itself and art. Like it has to be incorporated better. Mm. So to kind of just talk back to what you said, I think you were saying you will make art regardless of these states. Fuck yes. Your, um, can't but stop your, me, bitches. I hear you. And then, but your experience of the world, the thing that makes it challenging is the fact that it's not integrated into our lives. It's a secondary, not important system that society deems um, not really necessary. While you recognize it as something super important to our our existence. Yeah. I agree. I, I feel, feel the same way. like a goddamn alien when I try to yeah. explain this to people. Yeah. I'm like, I'm panting. I'm so angry. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Trust me. I, I'm the same way. And it's trying to make a living, trying to do what I'm doing, what your friend Rose is trying to do, um, where all the people I love are trying to do. Um, the musician, Ollie, who wrote our music for our podcast, we're all trying to, um, you know, put our voices out there and it is a battle because it's not made the world is not made for us to be able to do that easily and you have to go through these processes of self-validation i'm good enough i deserve this it's okay shouldn't have to be that hard it really it really shouldn't and also that there's like this kind of weird division line between the sciences and mathematics and um you know Yeah. Yeah. Science and mathematics, I feel like they have their own pillar and they are often looking down on the liberal arts, you know, sociology and, um, you know, the softer sciences, as they say, you know, like, you know, even even like holistic medicine is considered a pseudoscience. Like why does there need to be such a fucking hierarchy? And why does that mean that a huge proportion of people are now completely devalued? Exactly. And you're missing their contribution. Yeah. And that's not me coming from a victim state because no, I'm living here. I'm living my best life. Like I feel sorry for anyone who doesn't value the arts. Me too. But I am also aware that success is very hard to come by when you don't behave or produce in a certain way. Exactly. And that's based on the structure. I'm I'm not taking it personally. I am looking right at you, you motherfuckers. You built a system that doesn't allow for success in any other form. Yep. 
And I'm just sick of this round hole square peg shit. Yeah. If you don't fit in the system they make, you don't get good health insurance. You don't get supported in certain places, like in the States at least, you know, so it's, or in, you know, the Western world. Um, I'm right there with you. It is debilitating for me. And, and, um, I, it, I do take it personally. <laughs> um, we handle these things differently, but both are valid. Um, anyway, shifting to you again, personally, <laughs> well, this is all personal, but like getting a little more intimate. You're a mother. Mm-hmm. I am is how old again? Four, five. What? He's I'm really bad with age. Seven. Six, seven. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, how does that impact your practice, your creative practice? Does it impact it? No. Okay. Those those are just two things about me. Cool. I'm I'm a mother. I'm an artist. Yeah. Sweet. Um, learning learning things about my creative practice that bump up against motherhood is interesting. So when, uh, when I gave birth, the months following are, you know, peppered with some pretty, it's humorous. Now it was very painful. Then all I wanted to do was create because I had all of these things that were starting to flow through me because my whole being shifted um, birthing a human and having all of the things that are wrapped up in that journey mm-hmm. made me want to then create more, which is mm-hmm. the opposite of what you are capable of doing because your whole purpose is to keep that thing alive <laughs> and be absolutely available for it. You know, the connection between the birth mother and the child in those early aid, you know, the early time, it's your you're just deeply, deeply woven, enmeshed. And um, I am a very singular person. I enjoy a lot of alone time. I enjoy being able to govern, govern what I want to do. I have, I have control issues. <laughs> and so like I could not choose what I could do. Something else came first. So that's, that was an interesting experience for me, like getting all my art supplies set up. And then the minute I started putting paintbrush to paper like and just like okay well that's it bye (laughs) oh my god but then at the same time it's been a great gift because you have to be able to carve out boundaries you have to be able to say don't bother me right now I'm painting so now that we have you know a language and some some rational uh, conversations under our belt I'm able to learn how to use my language to say, this is what I'm prioritizing right now. It's not you. It's this. You'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine for now. I love it. Which is great. So it's a great example to set. Yeah. So I think the thing that I get, um, for lack of a better word, defensive about is that I don't enjoy over catering to any identity. Like even mm-hmm. me saying I'm an artist is almost you know, like identity politics is real right now. People are so invested in how they are labeled and how they are seen that like we forget that we're all just, we're all just humans and we're not as important as the natural world anyway. So, you know, our identities are just such a waste of time and distracting us from the priorities that we should have. So, Mm -hmm. you know, me being a mother doesn't mean that I live for my child. 
me being mm-hmm. an artist doesn't mean I just live for making art. So mm-hmm. that's my roundabout way of saying, yeah, man, you know, what if? I can relate to that. <laughs> I hate ident- I hate identifying as a teacher. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. I hate it um, because that's not my identity. It's just something. And there's, there's like rules because we live in the patriarchy. Yeah. We are supposed to behave a certain way if yep. we are those things. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not that. I'm a lot of things and it's not the only thing I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just some, it's something I do. I think I'm good at it and I do that during the day. And then I really cherish my free time to be the other things. And that's my boundary. So I really, mm. I refuse to be just a teacher because some people, it's just all they do. I have no, mm. no interest in that. All right. So anyway, um, love that answer. So then we'll weave into fears and insecurities. Um, what are your fears and insecurities around making art? How do you relate to them, adapt to them? And then when dealing with them, um, do they in any way become a part of your artwork or are they just kind of peripheral? So first question, what are my fears and insecurities around making art? I fear that I won't fulfill my destiny. I fear that my fears and my my reaction to fear, which is avoidance, procrastination, could be my downfall. Mm. And the way that I adapt to that is just to agree that I'll just make a little bit each day. Bite-sized, it's okay to go slow. And I'm just one of those slow burners. And I'm telling you, it's life-saving to go slow for me. It is. And your question around do my fears and insecurities in any way become part of my artwork? No, they are in the shadows. They don't <laughs> get the spotlight nice. at all. Unless I, <laughs> unless I am talking about, like if I'm making an artist statement, I am, I am sure to include the roadblocks that I had to bypass or get over or crush or blow up in order to get to where I am. So, you know, so if it was my, you know, show about my figure art, it was obviously my relation to my own body that I had to get through. Um, but I am by nature a performative masking, enchanting, illusionary, phantasmagorical type of creature. I don't enjoy being transparent. I enjoy the the mask that I can put on. So I like to exude certain things and mm. being honest about me being fearful or insecure uh, breaks that scene. Unless mm. what I am trying to do in this particular movement, like with my, with my own radical self-acceptance of my body, that is, that is the theme. That is Mm. the message that I'm bringing for in the artwork. So yes, then my fears and insecurities get to stand loud and proud because that's the whole purpose of that. Of that work. Yeah. But the rest of the time, no, 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 no. Gotcha. (laughs) And that's very, you're putting words to something I've always known about you. That's true. You're good at that. Yeah. I've been called two-faced a lot. Mm. And I think that that is just a dumb person's version of what I am. It's not two-faced. I'm not lying. <laughs> you, you get to decide what to present. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, that's a strong position to be coming from. It's a cool choice to make. Thanks. I have to think about that. That was really well said. Um, so then in that realm a little, do you ever have times when making art isn't coming easily to you? easily to you? And if so, how do you deal with that and then come back refreshed? I don't think I have a handle on that. Mm -hmm. I think I black out a bit. I think I freak out when, mm -hmm. when, when something is not going well, mm -hmm. I just freak the fuck out. Me too. <laughs> Sucks. I mean, it's nice to have people around me that I'm comfortable enough to show my freakouts too. Yeah. So, you know, my beloved Viking Druid will look at me and be like, it's good that you're uncomfortable. It means you're growing. And I'm like, Watch shut up. <laughs> I'm really uncomfortable. Just shut up. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times I'll share it with close friends like you or, uh, Vanessa or, um, I only have a small pool of people I trust enough with that, though. True. True that. Um, if you were not contained in a human body, what would your creative spirit look like? It would either be bird-like, flying in the sky, or swimming, like a swimming creature. And it would look like swirling sound color playful but fierce maybe a little scary mm -hmm. um sometimes i call you rudo bird i always forget about that yes. that was like a, a word that just came you to really me really got me <laughs> rudo bird um i think it's because i had parrot colored hair when we first probably. met <laughs> yeah that makes so much sense um if life is art what would your life look like in a painting made by you fucking love this question girl thank you thank you for this question no prob Lem. you get to see exactly how highly i think of myself because <laughs> if my life were art it would span an entire city it would be everywhere there would be surprises and corners and crannies and alleyways it would be visible in space. <laughs> I love yep. how you just said that with so much determination. You're like, space. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to be <laughs> on the moon. <laughs> the motherfucking moon. Yes. Projecting stuff on the moon. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I love it. I'm just, I'm just like taking that in. Okay. The, the look on your face was just wonderful when you said that. Um, is that all you wanted to say or is there more? <laughs> it's, that's, I'm good. I'm just imagining a lot of like cute surprises, like, like people jumping out from behind things and like glitter and like streamers or just like delicious food. I don't know. Just that's the things that I thought of. I'm sure there's nice. plenty of other things. Um, yeah. All right. I know you've made a lot of work. I know this might be a hard question, but choose your favorite piece of work that you could think of. And is there a song that goes with it and why? Yeah. So 
you asked two questions that were mm-hmm. similar. So one was what piece of artwork is your favorite you ever made? And then this yes. question, which is choose your favorite piece of work and what song goes with it. Yeah. So what I did is I, in my head, I decided that this question was about someone else's work and what mm-hmm. song goes with it. Okay. And I really like my answer, um, which is like any, any painting by George O'Keefe. Okay paired with Joni Mitchell's case of you. Ooh. You know that I be I could drink a case of you, darling. Still be on my feet. Like just the idea that something is so enco- encompassing that you could take it into your body and that mm. you love someone that much that you want to literally ingest them. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's what Georgia O'Keeffe's work does. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to (laughs) cry. Which is what that song does to me. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that song Mm. in a while. Um, Slays me. I still want to know what favorite piece of work you've made is. So... The what's interesting about it is that I made a painting based off of a song that was really moving me. And it's oh. there's a New Zealand um super band called Fly My Pretties, and they bring on new artists for each track and each album. And they've been making art for a very long time. And so one of their most recent albums, they brought in this woman called a girl named Mo. And she wrote a song called Mud and Stardust. And I made an abstract art show and I made a painting that's like very, very cosmic. And there's like prismatic um, paints. Like I used really, really, really nice pigmented paints, golden acrylics. Mm-hmm. And they have all of these pearlescents. And so I've like played around with it. I made a bunch of mistakes, but basically it's just the cosmos. And I named it Mud and Stardust because at the same time I was painting that, I was just reveling in that album. Oh, yeah. So I actually have, you know, song and painting that go hand in hand. That's really cool. That was a cool answer. Um, Two more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is your work important in the world and what does it bring to the collective consciousness? And I asked this knowing it might make you uncomfortable. No, no, that's all right. Uh, maybe. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Not at all. Good. I'm feeling very grandiose. So that's perfectly timed. <laughs> good. <laughs> I can see it from space. <laughs> I want it to be in space. <laughs> so why is my work important? Because it involves color which is healing and full of catalysts to transformation and processing. And it's very visceral. It connects ourselves to our bodies. And for me, color is is channeling a lot of information into something very simple. Mm. You know, so I get it. I'm in the club that gets that color is one of the most important things that we have. And I'm pinpointing healing as a theme for you. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. And then finally, to kind of tie all the loose ends together, um, thinking of us both, our friendship, our connection, um, 
How do we connect and relate artistically as friends and creators? Where do we complement each other? Where do we differ? And if you could paint our energies in a piece of artwork, what would it look like? It's a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, This is the opposite of what you should do with somebody with ADHD and you ask them questions. You should ask them one at a time, but because we're going off of written questions, it's totally fine. I hear you. Dear listeners, do not do this to somebody with ADHD. One (laughs) question at a time. (laughs) So I'm going to work backwards. You said back to paint our energies. I think that our podcast image does a pretty fucking good job. I do too. It's swirling. It's misty. It's translucent, but there. The two hands, like the space in between the hands, but the hands reaching out. To me, that is so fundamentally us. This, like we're reaching, we're connecting. There's space between us, but it's irrelevant, but also really sacred and beautiful and soft and swirling. Um, and the the thing, the reason that I think we're friends and creators and how we connect is that we're both psychic, we're both little tuning forks or channels. And I think that's a really incredible place to be able to connect from. And, you know, that wonder is really complimentary. It can also be really contrasty. Because the sometimes the things that you're like, whoa, about, I'm like, what? And then the things that I'm like, whoa, you're like, I don't, I don't <laughs> connect to that at all. So it can be like our own worst enemy at times as well. Yeah, because we're like, why are you excited about that? <laughs> yeah, we're like, yeah. I'm trying really hard not to take that personally. Yeah. Can, you, can you please just feign excitement for me? I think we're used uh, to that with each other, though. I think we've kind of yeah used to that now. And I think that our ability to project and go places is mm-hmm. kind of our modus operandus. Me too. Mm. I love that. I love you. I love you. I <laughs> love your questions. I'm really glad you love my questions. Um, Bow down to the questions from Pixie. I fought for the questions. Um, you did. Yeah, so that's our first episode, and this episode recording felt good, and um, Super thank you for joining us. Rich. Yeah. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Yeah. So proud. Yeah. It's just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning. Et voila. You know, onward and upward and stuff. Yeah. The... um. The closing remarks that I have is just one of gratitude. Thank you to whomever is listening. And you should check out our show notes because I definitely want to stress to you that inspiration is a huge part of our being. Yes. And we're going to link to the inspirational forces that were mentioned in this show. Yes. And we will link our website so you can see our work as well. What are we going to talk about next? We are going to be talking about grief and mythology. Yes. Um, So getting a little personal, digging a little, and looking at how storytelling informs, um, guides, and heals us through those types of things. 
And also please enjoy the music that our podcast is using. It's entitled Whimsical Aliens. <laughs> it was written and performed by Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York, a dear friend of Pixies. And let me tell you, just a fantastic fellow. So we'll link his work as well. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.